Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is about the rapture. It ties in with our studies in Revelation. It's interesting that 1 Thessalonians is actually the earliest of Paul's epistles, dated between 51 and 52 A.D. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy first went to this Macedonian port city of Thessalonica on the second missionary journey, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 14. And this Thessalonica was the second place that the gospel was preached in Greece, Macedonia being part of Greece. The first place that they preached the gospel was Philippi. And then after that they went to Athens, and then Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 2, and verse 5. Now, Paul only spent a total of about three weeks teaching in Thessalonica. And so he was only able to lay just a very basic, fundamental foundation of New Testament doctrine there. And so some, some concerns and questions begin to arise with the people in the church of Thessalonica. And they sent a letter, apparently through Timothy, back to Paul. Paul goes to Athens. He sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to encourage the believers there and then to report back to him on the condition of the church. And so Timothy rejoined Paul in Corinth. We see that in chapter 3, verse 6. And Corinth is where Paul wrote the two letters to the Thessalonian church. I want to read verses 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage, there's so much here. Can't possibly cover it all in depth in one session. But we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to gain an understanding, a greater understanding of what Paul is saying here to the Thessalonians. And that it will prove to encourage us, even as Paul says at the end of this passage, Encourage one another, comfort one another with these words. Lord, we pray that you would pour out your comfort upon us this morning as we look at this glorious coming event, the rapture of the church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul says, hey guys, I don't want you to be ignorant, which means destitute of knowledge, uninstructed or uninformed, untaught, unenlightened. I don't want you guys to be lacking in knowledge or understanding about this subject. So they had sent this letter to Paul through Timothy. They were worried about the fate of the believers who had already passed on concerning those who have fallen asleep. And as you know, I love it. This is a New Testament term for believers 
who have succumbed to physical death. They have fallen asleep. Because for the believer, it's temporary. Physical death. They were worried that those who had fallen asleep might miss out on the blessed event of resurrection from the dead and ascension into heaven to meet the Lord in the air. Now, the reason that they had this concern is because it was precipitated to a great degree by the fact that Paul and the other New Testament writers clearly taught the imminent return of Christ. What does that mean? Paul and the New Testament writers taught the early believers that Jesus could return at any moment. There are large numbers of believers and so-called believers today who do not believe that. They believe that it's probably going to be a long time in the future before we ever see him. And even then, there's skepticism, there's doubt, and they believe there's a lot of things that have to happen first. That's not what Paul believed. That's not what Paul taught. In fact, Paul, until the latter part of his life, when God made it clear through prophecy that Paul was going to die in Rome, and he faced that death with absolute bravery, valiant, fearless, because he knew, he said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But through much of Paul's walk with the Lord, he expected Jesus to come in his lifetime. They weren't foolish, Paul and the other New Testament writers, the apostles. They weren't ignorant. Like Paul says, I don't want you Thessalonians to be ignorant about this. Paul wasn't ignorant. The other apostles weren't ignorant or uninformed. They were believing and teaching exactly what God wanted them to. You see... God wants every generation of believers to be looking for and expecting him to call us home at any moment. Did you know that? Now those on the other side say, well, you guys are just trying to take the easy way out, the rapture, get out of here before the bad stuff hits. Last time I checked, some bad stuff's already been hitting. It's not peaches and cream out there, is it? It's not uh, the millennium. It's not kingdom now. It's pretty rough out there. And the thing about the pre-tribulational rapture, as my mentor, Pastor Chuck Smith, used to point out, the belief that Jesus could come at any moment should motivate you to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, should it not? How many of us want to have Jesus come and find us engaging in things we ought not to be engaging in? And there's a lot of that going on too, by the way. It really has just the opposite effect. It doesn't cause us to kick back and say, oh, it's all going to be okay, I'm going to be raptured. No, you don't want to be caught off guard. And Jesus said he was coming like a thief in the night. What does that tell you? In fact, sadly, our brother Justin, I found out before the service, had his house broken into this week. He wasn't home, but his mother was there sleeping and was not aware that it was occurring. That's the whole idea. A good thief sneaks in, stealthily, quietly, rips you off, and you never even know. He's in and out. And Jesus said that's what it's going to be like for the people who are not watching, waiting, and prepared 
Now, if he's not coming till the end of the tribulation, that just doesn't work. Because if you and I are here to observe the rise of the Antichrist and to track everything happening through the book of Revelation, like we're doing on most Sundays here, then you would be able to pretty much predict when Jesus is coming again, just based on the information we have in the Scriptures. And yet Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. A surprise return for those who are watching and waiting, which the rest of the world will totally miss. That's the rapture of the church, and it's a pre-tribulational rapture. We'll see more why as we go along. God wants every generation of believers to be looking for and expecting Him to call us home at any moment. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, They themselves, the Macedonians, declare concerning us what matter of entry we had to you, the Thessalonians, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and, watch this, to wait for His Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, Paul is saying that God turned the Thessalonians from serving idols to serving him. And even as we're here on earth serving God, we're also supposed to be waiting for his son from heaven. So when believers, or so-called believers, take the attitude I'm not going to think about that. That's so far off in the future. That is not how we're supposed to live as believers. We're supposed to be serving and watching and waiting. And if you don't believe he's coming soon, then you're not going to be watching and waiting. Paul tells us that as we serve God here on the earth, we are to be waiting for his son from heaven. He didn't tell us to wait for the Antichrist or for the tribulation. And he says that Jesus will deliver us from the coming wrath, which is a specific reference to the tribulation. Titus 2.11-13 through 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for... The blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What, what are the New Testament writers telling us and teaching us? That the next most important and significant event on the horizon, yeah, there's a lot of things leading up to it, and we're seeing the signs all around us, but we should be looking for the return of Jesus Christ. And yet, many believers are not. And they will even tell you, that's a distraction, It'll happen when it happens. You just need to work on being a better person. <laughs> you know, you've got to learn to love yourself. You've got to build up your self-esteem and your self-image, right, and all this stuff. You know, don't worry about when Jesus comes. That'll take care of itself. That's a totally twisted mentality. Our focus should not be on ourselves. The world will tell you, you need to focus on yourself. God says, crucify yourself. Get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes on Jesus and on serving others. As we focus on Him and on others, 
The Holy Spirit comes in like a flood and fills our hearts with love and joy and peace and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. Luke 21, 28. And here, this is the parallel passage to Matthew 24, the great two passages in the Gospels where the disciples asked Jesus to give them the details of what things they should look for that would tell them that his return is near. These are two tremendous end times prophetic passages in the Gospels. Matthew 24, Luke 21. And so in response, Jesus says to the disciples, Luke 21, 28, Now when these things begin to happen, how many of you believe these things are beginning to happen? Huh? All the pandemics, earthquakes, volcanoes, wars and rumors of wars. You guys know the scenario, right? Pestilence. Look at the record-breaking temperatures in the, in the southwest, in California, the fires. God is once again allowing us to be reminded that He's in control. Like the song we sang, you are in control. Whenever man thinks he's got it all together and he's got everything under control, God has ways of letting us know that we don't. When these things begin to happen, what are we to do? Look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Now in Christ, if you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've confessed your sins, you've repented, you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Do we know all this great Christian terminology? Then you've been redeemed. He is our Redeemer. That was in one of the songs we sang too. But the fulfillment of our redemption, the completion will be when we receive our immortal, eternal, incorruptible, imperishable, glorified bodies, when our spirits, which are, are reunited with a brand new heavenly body that can dwell in the heavenlies. These bodies can't handle that. They can barely make it here. And they only make it here for 70 or 80 years, right? If we're blessed, if we're fortunate. When these things begin to happen, he doesn't say at the end of a... Jesus describes the tribulation as a time worse than any other time in human history. And he doesn't say at the end of this devastation... Listen carefully. Jesus never said at the end of this devastation, this devastating worldwide cataclysmic event, the tribulation, at the end of that, look up for your redemption draws nigh. He says when these things begin to happen, look up. These things, the things that Jesus outlines here in Luke 21 and Matthew 24, relating to the last days and the tribulation. When they begin to happen, we're to look up at the beginning of the tribulation, not the end. He doesn't say, hunker down, hang in there, find a cave, try to make it to the end. No, he says, when they begin to happen, look up. Your redemption draws near. Just, folks, let's think about it. Think about God's economy, how he operates. It makes perfect sense. Just as the world is about to be plunged into the most horrible time in human history, 
we will be redeemed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Well, Christians have suffered persecution for thousands of years. God's people, all the way back to when Cain slew Abel. That's right. Those who have followed God have always been persecuted. But you know what? The tribulation is not about persecution. It's about wrath. God's wrath is reserved for the wicked, for the ungodly. Noah's flood, Sodom and Gomorrah. God never pours his wrath out on his own people. Would you do that to your kids? Well, we might because we're imperfect. God's not imperfect. He's perfect. But do your kids always behave perfectly? Even though when we were kids, we did, right? I don't know what's wrong with these kids today. We were perfect. Facetious, right? But I've used the analogy so many times. If your kid runs out into the street in front of an oncoming car or truck, are you going to stand there and say, well, that's what he deserves? Guess we'll clean up the mess afterwards. You're going to rush out there and snatch them away from in front of that car, are you not? Because they're your kid. God's about to pour his wrath out like he never has before. And by the way, he is totally justified in doing so. You know that? He's God. He's perfect in all of his ways. Just as he judged the world at the time of Noah, just as he judged the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God did not appoint us to wrath. Persecution, yes. Why? God's always allowed persecution because it strengthens us. It tests our faith. It's like the refiner's fire. Is your faith genuine? Is it true? Is it real? Can you be put in the fire and come out pure? Many people have failed that test. But we must be tested. I don't want to go through life with a phony faith, do you? thinking that I know God when I don't, thinking that I'm saved when I'm not. Do you realize how many millions of people in this, on this planet are in that position right now? They've been taught a false gospel. They are living under a false assumption and presumption that they're going to be going to heaven, but they have not been properly taught, instructed, and led into a true faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith needs to be tested. Will it stand the test? God loves us too much to let us go through life deceived. So persecution, yes. And it brings glory to God, does it not? Some of the greatest men and women who have ever walked this planet have not only suffered, but they've died for their faith and the glory that it brings to God. And by the way, when all's said and done, they're with Him. Jesus said, don't fear the one who can destroy your body. Fear the one who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. Persecution and wrath are two different things. God allows persecution for our benefit. He will never, ever pour out his wrath upon us. Therefore, we have to be removed before that great outpouring of his wrath. Clearly, there will be people during the tribulation who will come to Christ. And the scriptures tell us that most likely they will be beheaded 
for their faith, which sounds pretty weird in 2021, except that the Islamic world does practice beheading on a regular basis. And also we've seen over the last several weeks two different instances where left-wing rioters have brought out guillotines. Have you seen that? How many of you saw that? Yes, they did. They did a mock decapitation of the president with a guillotine. And there was another situation where they brought one out. Who would have thought? 2020 America? People are dragging guillotines out onto the street? How strange. Could that be an omen? A sign of things to come? So, I recommend getting saved now. As opposed to then. And as I learned many years ago from, again, from my mentor, Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, if you want to know what Calvary Chapel is really all about and it's supposed to be about, I recommend, we have some of his books in the back. We got in some of his Word for Today Bibles with his own personal commentaries written in if you'd like to get one of those. I think we let it, read it. Do we have any left? We have one left right now and we can order more. And we don't know how much longer they're going to be available because now that Pastor Chuck has passed away, uh, they may discontinue the publication of this Word for Today Bible, but we can still get them at this point. Talk to Loretta after the service if you'd like to get one. Uh, some of the, the newer folks in the Calvary Chapel movement have uh, kind of drifted away from Pastor Chuck's vision, his foundational beliefs, but I still hold to them because they have been proven to be from God, guided and directed by God. And the hallmark of Pastor Chuck's ministry has been faithfully executing the teaching of God's Word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Anyway, Pastor Chuck taught me this, that it is the wicked servant, the evil servant, that says... The master delays his coming. Matthew 24, 45 through 51. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? So particularly this would apply to pastor, teachers, shepherds of the flock entrusted with giving food to the household, feeding the sheep. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, Oh, my master delays his coming. He's not coming for a while yet. And begins to beat his fellow servants, to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two. I definitely don't want to be a part of this. And appoint him as portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The point being, God takes a dim view of those who say that Jesus is not coming soon. Don't worry about it. It's going to be a long, probably won't even be in your lifetime. That is a very harmful teaching to bring forth to the body of Christ. Oh yeah, he's not coming soon. Don't be distracted by all this rapture stuff and second coming stuff you know let's just focus on the here and now is that what Jesus taught no he taught us to focus on his kingdom seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness 
And all these earthly temporal things will be added unto you. Your daily needs. You focus on him and his kingdom. And he promises to take care of you. Not the other way around. So he says, Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. These things begin to happen. Your redemption draws near. Then he goes back. We go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So the sorrow and grief of those who have no hope of eternal life, no hope of a glorious eternity in paradise, stands in stark contrast to the hopeful grief of the believer. I noticed this over the years as I was part of my pastoral duties, obviously, to perform funerals, memorial services. And I began to see this stark contrast on those unfortunate occasions when I would have to perform a service for a non-believer. The, the torment, the people, the, the weeping and wailing, just agony. Because at a memorial service for a non-believer, for the most part, those attending will also be non-believers. And they have no hope of anything beyond the grave. And this was true of the Greek culture, by the way. They took a very fatalistic view of death that beyond the grave there was nothing. Nothing. And so Paul tells these Thessalonians, don't grieve like the rest of the people who have no hope. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. What a stark contrast. And then you go to a memorial for a believer and there's you know, some tears, there's some sadness, but at the same time there's joy. There's a sense of celebration because, again, not all, but many of the people attending a service for a departed believer are also believers, and they're all rejoicing together that that person is now with Jesus. It's night and day. It is night and day. And Paul says, hey, as believers, we should not be grieving like that. Verse 14, for if or since... We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Some translations say if, but it's really rhetorical. It's really since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. This is rhetorical. True believers like Paul absolutely believe that Jesus died and rose again. Do we not? Amen. And so he says, since we believe that, then we know God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. The Thessalonians were worried about their loved ones who had already died prior to the rapture, the resurrection and the rapture of the church. But Jesus' death and resurrection is the guarantee that all who fall asleep in Christ will be part of the resurrection and the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. In fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits. Jesus led the way, the first one to permanently conquer death. Dying on the cross, rising again on the third day, he's the first fruits. First fruits means that there's more to follow. For as by a man came death, Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, 
those who belong to Christ. So don't worry, Thessalonians, about your loved ones that have died. They will be raised, as will you who are still alive. For this we say, verse 15, to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Paul says, we say this to you by the word of the Lord. Jesus did not elaborate on these details in the Gospels the way that Paul is doing it here in 1 Thessalonians. But Paul says, this is the word of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, when he's talking about communion, he says, I received from the Lord indicating that he had received personal, private instruction from Jesus. Remember, Paul was the one born after the fact, if you will. He wasn't part of the original 12. He wasn't with Jesus during his three years of earthly ministry. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, remember? Which is amazing. Jesus went out of his way because in order to be a genuine apostle, by the way, there have been a lot of people going around saying they're apostles. The only real apostles are the ones who saw the resurrected Christ. Now someone might have an apostolic type of a ministry. Pastor Chuck Smith, he was the father of thousands of churches all over the world, but he never called himself an apostle. The thing is, when you really are something, you don't have to tell people. You just are. It took me years to get even comfortable calling myself Pastor Gary. Because I'm just like you guys. I'm Gary. I don't have to tell you if I'm the pastor. I just have to be it. But, you know, sometimes it helps just to clarify things. Hello, this is Pastor Gary. <laughs> Christ the first fruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. So, Paul, we're told that he spent three years in Arabia... And the belief is that that three years was Paul's personal schooling time with Christ. How many years did the other apostles spend with Jesus? Three years. So Paul had to play some catch-up because he was one born after the fact. When Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. God has a tremendous sense of humor. Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He traveled around capturing Christians to execute them. And so what does God do? He calls him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. <laughs> and you know what? Paul was darn proud of it. He was more than happy to be the apostle to the Gentiles. But three years in Arabia, Galatians 1.11, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So anybody that would try to argue, oh, Paul wasn't qualified, he wasn't there in the beginning, Jesus went out of his way to personally qualify Paul. And this is so important. The gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. I neither received it from man nor was I taught it. Do you realize how many people are out there today preaching and teaching according to man and not according to God. That's why we cling so tightly to the Bible, the Word of God. There's a lot of man-made garbage floating around out there and we don't want anything to do with it. Amen? 
Okay, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Gee, it sounds like Paul expected to be around for the rapture, doesn't it? And folks, by the way, and you've heard me say this before, there will be a generation of believers on this earth who will not taste physical death because they will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and I believe that many people in this room will be part of that. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Paul's comforting the Thessalonians with the knowledge that their departed loved ones are actually at the front of the line when it comes to the resurrection and the rapture. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. He said he would come back the same way that he departed. Acts 1.9 Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So Jesus was actually raptured. Did you know that? Acts chapter 1. He was on the Mount of Olives with the disciples giving his farewell address when he begins to rise up into the clouds. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, angels, of course, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Can you see these guys all dumbfounded? Huh? What just happened? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And that's what Paul's talking about right here. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. If he went up, he's coming back. What goes up must come down. With a shout. Now, have you ever thought about what, what might that shout be? John eleven forty three. Lazarus has died. Jesus gets there a little late. Only God is never late, is he? Lazarus is already bound up in the Jewish manner of burial with the linen cloths and the herbs and spices, but he's been in there for three days. Jesus tells the people, open that tomb. Oh, no, Lord, I don't think you want to do that. He stinketh. That's my favorite word in the Bible, King James Version. He stinketh. That doesn't stop Jesus because we all stinketh. But he died for us anyway. When he had said these things, he's, you know, addressing the crowd and so forth, he cried out with a loud voice. That sounds like a shout, doesn't it? Lazarus, you stinketh. No, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Could that be the shout that we're going to hear? Possibly. Revelation 4.1. Now, many Bible teachers, theologians, come, especially those who embrace the prophetic view of Scripture that we do at most Calvary chapels today. I don't know about all these days. We believe that Revelation 4. The end of Revelation 3 is the end of the messages to the seven churches. The beginning of Revelation 4 is an allusion to the rapture of the church. This is the beginning where the church from this point, the beginning of chapter 4 on, the church is no longer on the earth. The church is in heaven. And here's what it says. After these things I looked, John the apostle looked, behold a door standing open in heaven. And the scriptures tell us that when Jesus returns, he's, he's right at the door. He's getting ready to come through the door and to call us home. 
The door is standing open, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. So we believe that this is actually the rapture where Jesus shouts, Come up here. Boy, I can't wait to hear that. What about you? Now, there was an interesting phenomenon going on here a year or two ago. I can't remember the exact time frame. Do you remember when people were reporting all over the world that they were hearing the sound of trumpets? I, I heard it. I'm not a Fruit Loop. No, please, come on, give me a break. Be nice. And my wife heard it. It was wild. But there were all over the world, simultaneously, people were hearing this sound, this distant sound, and it sounded like trumpets. I heard it on my front porch. Very interesting. Very interesting. I think maybe they're warming up up there. Just like when we do our sound check before you guys get here. They're warming up. With the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. In the Old Testament, the trumpet was used, one, to call people to war, but also to summon them for a sacred gathering. The trumpet was also used, the ram's horn, the shofar. How's it going? Pretty good shofar. <laughs> Mild response. Not bad. Okay. But it was used as a call to worship. And we will be called, come up here and worship at my feet. How cool is that? Are you ready for that? I certainly am. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Don't worry, Thessalonians. Not only will your departed loved ones not miss out on the resurrection and the rapture, they will be the first ones to receive their immortal, imperishable, eternal, glorified bodies. Psalms 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Contrary to this idea, oh, it's so sad. When a believer dies, it's not sad. It might be sad for you and I because we miss them. But it's not sad for them. I always like to say, and I do say this when I do a memorial service or a funeral, death is a promotion if we could just get that through our thick skulls, even as believers, let's be honest, so many times we fight so hard to keep these old, rotting, dying, decaying bodies alive, right? Why are we fighting it? Death is a promotion. Paul says, I would prefer to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. I'm only staying here because God's called me to preach the gospel. I'd much rather be up there with him. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I believe that's what helped all the early Christian martyrs and the martyrs down through the centuries to face death with such bravery, with such joy, because they knew exactly where they were going. Luke 23, 43, remember the two thieves on the cross? One mocked Jesus, but one acknowledged him as Lord and Savior. Lord, 
Remember me, not if you come into your kingdom, but when. Talk about faith. You're dying on a cross, a criminal, nailed to a cross, slowly bleeding to death, slowly dying of asphyxiation. And you look at Jesus there on the cross with you. He's in no better shape than you are. And yet you say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Talk about faith. What did Jesus say to him? Assuredly, I say to you, at some point, no, today, today you will be with me in paradise. So we have absolute assurance and comfort. When we lose a friend, a loved one that's in Christ, the moment the Spirit leaves the body, they're with Him. We're here mourning. They're rejoicing. Get it? Final verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We who are alive and remain. Again, believers who are alive on the earth when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout to call us home. There will be a generation that will hear that shout, will not taste physical death. I believe we are among that group. But even if we're not, it's okay either way, right? Shall be caught up. And here's the big controversial part right here. Caught up, snatched away. It's the Greek word harpazo. People say, you always talk about this rapture. The word's not even in the Bible. Oy vey. Well, it's harpazo in the Greek, but in the Latin Vulgate translation of the New Testament, in Latin, the word caught up here is raptus or rapturus. And that word raptus or rapturus is where we get the English word rapture. So technically, yes, it's in the Bible. You just need the Latin Bible. And it means to be snatched away violently, just like I said Snatching your kid from in front of that car or that freight train. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's all about. He knows his own plan. He knows at what moment he's going to begin to pour out his wrath. Now some people say, well, yeah, I believe in a pre-wrath rapture. And they believe the first three and a half years of the tribulation is going to be all peaches and cream. But actually the Bible teaches that even though there will be a false peace during the first half of the tribulation that peace treaty that the Antichrist will negotiate between Israel and the surrounding nations and so forth, when they shall say peace and safety, then what? Sudden destruction shall come upon them. The bad stuff doesn't just start happening halfway through the tribulation. It starts at the beginning and gets worse and worse and worse. And we who serve the risen Christ will not be forced to serve the Antichrist. Caught up together with him in the clouds. So those who have previously fallen asleep in Christ will be with the Lord in the air, awaiting those who will be transformed without tasting physical death, to meet the Lord in the air. At the rapture, Jesus comes, as you've heard me say before. He comes for the saints. He comes for his people. He doesn't come all the way down. He's up there. Come up here, he says. Come up here with me and let's celebrate for seven years, while there's chaos, while there's hell on earth down below, come up and be with me. Meeting us in midair at the second coming, he comes with the saints and returns to the earth. Jude 1.14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, the false teachers of the last days, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints, 
to execute judgment on all. First, we go up to be with him to celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. At the end of the tribulation, we come back with him to execute judgment. Revelation 19, 13 through 15. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, that's us, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So better brush up on your riding skills. It'll be a lot easier in that perfected body. For some of us, it's a little painful right now, horseback riding. Then it's going to be great. Now out of his mouth comes a sharp sword that with it he will, should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. So that speaks of his physical return to the earth. The Bible says he'll set foot on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will split in two. We're coming with him. He doesn't set foot on the earth at the rapture, but he does at the second coming. He comes for the saints in the rapture with the saints at the end of the tribulation. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, again, the moment we die, our spirit goes to be with him. But see, the reason that Jesus came to earth as a man, died on the cross, became the sacrifice for our sins, rose from the dead, is to redeem us body, soul, and spirit. Another false teaching in some sectors is that it's only the spirit that is saved, not the body. Jesus, in his post-resurrection body, they could touch the wounds in his hand, they could touch the wound in his side, he could eat fish with them. God has redeemed us, body, soul, and spirit, and the fulfillment and completion of our redemption is when we get our body like Jesus' body. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. From the moment we're resurrected and raptured, we will be with Jesus forever, body, soul, and spirit. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Not just the Thessalonians, but all believers of all ages are to comfort one another with these words. For the believer, there should be no fear of death. We merely fall asleep and wake up in the arms of God. And when Jesus descends from heaven to meet us in the clouds, we will receive new glorified bodies worthy of heaven. The unbelieving world has many forms of false comfort, do they not? Drugs, alcohol, illicit sex, materialism. The list goes on and on of all the false comforts. There's even southern comfort. But these things never last. There's always a downside. Ultimately, they lead to destruction. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way which seems right to a man. If it feels good, do it, right? The anthem of the baby boomer generation. Those who grew up in the 60s, flower power, you know, drugs, sex, and rock and roll. There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of what? Death. So we don't want or need that kind of comfort. No matter what this life may throw at us, we can always take comfort and we can comfort one another with the knowledge that as believers, we will surely be raised from the dead and live forever in the glorious presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's stand. Father God, we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture where Paul has really clearly lined things out for us. The Thessalonians needed some clarification, some further education, and we are the beneficiaries of that, of that teaching. Lord, there should be no doubt in any believer's mind about what's going to happen to us, not only when we die, when we fall asleep, 
but also when we are going to be caught up to meet you in the clouds. The dead will rise first, receiving their new glorified bodies. Then we which are alive and remain on the earth will be instantaneously transformed as we are transported from this planet up into the heavenlies to meet you and our fellow believers in Christ. And so we will be with you forever, Lord. No one should have any doubt about what's going to happen, where we're going, what's going to happen to us. Lord, that should be all the comfort that we need to face the trials and tribulations of this life. So we pray now, Lord, as we close, that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. And again, as I have over the last few weeks, I'm going to ask people to raise their hands if they need prayer this morning. Just raise your hand if you need prayer, whatever it might be for health, strength, wisdom, guidance, comfort, counsel, provision. God's got it all. He sees each hand. Maybe you're concerned about a loved one that has departed or maybe it has never come to the Lord. We're going to pray for you guys right now. Father, we lift up each one. Lord, you've told us to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. So we're doing that right now. Lord, I have no doubt that everyone here today could say, I've seen the miraculous hand of God at work in my life. I've seen God's miracles. He's performed miracles for me in many ways, many times. Lord, you've protected us from situations where we could have been killed or seriously injured. You've protected us from many calamities. And Lord, there have been times when you've carried us through the trials and tribulations, not allowing us to avoid them, but being with us as we've gone through them because you've used those trials and tribulations to grow us, to strengthen us, to test our faith, to mature us, and to prepare us for eternity. So God, we lift each one of these up to you now. And Lord, if, if among this group there's one or more that don't know you, They've not received Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray right now that you give them the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, that they would open their hearts and minds to you, Lord, that they would confess their sins and repent and be born again by the Spirit of God and become a member of your forever family. Lord, bless each one. You know each heart. You know the needs. You know the desires. Lord, bless your people. Pour out your Spirit upon each one. And we ask you to receive now our final offering of worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.